Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. Just over 52% of households in Rwanda have access to some form of electricity. This access is not evenly distributed across the country. In rural communities where most Rwandans live, energy access rates are far lower. Furthermore, the country's geography severely limits the reach of Rwanda's electric grids. This means Rwandans are increasingly turning to off-grid energy solutions namely solar power. My guest today, Rebecca Clegge, is a Ghanaian economist whose research focuses on the intersection of clean energy access and female entrepreneurship. She is a researcher at Environmental Research Policy Unit who is completing her PhD studies at the School of Economics, University of Cape Town in South Africa. What makes Rebecca Clegge's work so unique is that she flips a common study question on its head. Rather than asking how energy access empowers women, she examines how empowered women can promote energy access and whether or not they do a better job of it than men. At the center of her research is a for-profit social enterprise called Nuru Energy. This company provides rechargeable solar lighting to village-level entrepreneurs who then sell the lighting to others in the community. Using sales data from Nuru Energy, Rebecca Clegge was able to compare the effectiveness of female salespeople versus their male counterparts. And she finds that female entrepreneurs of this solar energy product are significantly more successful than male entrepreneurs. There are broad implications of this finding, which touches on questions around sustainable development, clean energy access, and women's empowerment. These questions and more are being put to the test in an ongoing randomized control trial, which Rebecca Clegge also discusses in this episode. And on a very similar note, I want to draw listeners' attention to a recently concluded virtual workshop on gender and energy access hosted by Duke University and featuring 200 practitioner scholars from over 30 countries. You can find a link to that workshop and white paper on globaldispatchespodcast.com. And today's episode is the third installment in a series of episodes that will be published over the next few months that showcase the research and work of the Sustainable Energy Transitions Initiative. SETI is an interdisciplinary global collaborative that aims to foster research on energy access and energy transitions in low- and middle-income countries. Currently, SETI is housed at Duke University, where it is led by Professors Subrendu Patanayak and Mark Juland. To learn more about SETI, follow them on Twitter at SETI Energy. And now here is my conversation with economist Rebecca Clegge. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization 
hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. You know, um, Rwanda has this vast hilly terrain, so you can have two households in the same village. However, let's say we have household X and household Y. Moving from household X to Y will take you some time to get to household Y. And even in, in some situations, vehicles cannot assess this hilly terrain. So that makes a grid expansion very difficult. As a result, there is high demand for upgrade solutions. And the government of Rwanda is encouraging alternative sources of electricity. It's interesting. It's the uh, the, the hilly terrain, the Milkolin. The reason that really the geography is a determinant of energy access in a really significant way in Rwanda. Exactly. And and in general, as you said, you know, if you are in rural Rwanda, there's no way you're accessing a grid and your chances and your opportunities for off-grid access in through some renewable sources is presently at least very limited. In terms, you can access the grid. Some rural areas can access the grid to some extent, but it will not that reliable. That's one thing. Those that access it is not so reliable. So they are more likely to depend on off-grid solutions. And so that's that's the energy access scene. Could you now describe what does Rwanda look like in terms of female participation in the workforce generally and female entrepreneurship specifically? Okay, so uh, we can't talk about uh, female um, participation or gender without talking about the impressive uh, gender policies that uh, Rwanda has been implementing over the years. As it stands, um, currently Rwanda has one of the highest number of female parliament representatives and they have um, entrenched in their constitution uh, that women should occupy at least 30% of all governmental decision-making bodies, which is very impressive. However, um, women continue to trail a main in a main in formal labor participation. Access to credits, uh, entrepreneurship rates, income levels, inheritance or ownership rights. Um, for instance, uh, women account for close to 44.8% of the labor force, but most of them are engaged as crop farm laborers, domestic cleaners, Helpers, petty traders, or shopkeepers. And for those that are occupying, uh, occupying managerial positions, like for people that are employed in managerial positions, women account for 32%. And it looks as if the gender policies that the government has implemented is benefiting the urban women and the rural peasant women. Uh, so this is how the um, labor force participation or landscape look like in Rwanda. So what I find so fascinating about your study and about your work is that you were able to combine these two, you know, very seemingly different topics, energy access and energy uh, availability 
and female entrepreneurship and female workforce participation. And you combine them into a single study that looked at uh, a program in which individuals at the village level sell renewable energy solutions. Before we get to sort of the nuts and bolts of your study, can you just describe for listeners, what is Nuru Energy, the social enterprise that you partnered with to conduct your study? So Nuru Energy, as you say, as you said, is a social enterprise, but it's not just a social enterprise. It's, it's an enterprise that's for profit. So it's a company that makes profit. And it operates in um, mainly East Africa and has been operating in Rwanda for um, a number of years now. Um, it aims to address global issues of energy poverty through the design and manufacture, uh, manufacturing uh, small LED lights. So uh, the business model, the initial business model of NU is such that the company provides energy in the form of a single rechargeable light that is sold by village-level enterprises. And these village-level enterprises sell rechargeable lights to customers at a fee which is above the cost, therefore making revenue for Nuru company as well as also making some income for themselves. They have access to this light and they can frequently go back to this village level entrepreneurs to recharge their light at a very low cost. Mm. Yeah, so this is how Nuru operates. So, so basically, you have uh, Nuru, you know, provides or sells uh, a, you know, a system, right? Both a light and a recharging system to the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur sells the light to, you know, someone else in their village. That person buys the light, but then also comes back to the uh, local village level entrepreneur when that light needs a recharge. Yes, exactly. So that's how Nuru operates. How did you design your study and come up with the idea to figure out whether or not female entrepreneurs who work with Nuru have better outcomes or worse outcomes or the same outcomes as their male counterparts? By way of motivation, let me just say that we all know that one of the most important challenges facing the world today is extreme poverty. Women and girls are often the worst victims of poverty in developing countries and are usually unfairly burdened with domestic responsibilities that limit their ability to participate in the workforce. Rural communities in Rwanda tend to systematically discriminate against women uh, when they select people to head village-level enterprises. For instance, uh, within the original Nuru program, many communities, uh, many community members, uh, both men and women, expressed interest of becoming entrepreneurs at the end of the day, the responsibility was on uh, the village leadership to choose. As a result, we only had like about 90% of uh, village level entrepreneurs as women, you know. Uh, because like the women, like the village elders, whatever, exactly. the ones who, who select, who are able to work with Nuru, who are the local entrepreneurs, and they discriminate against women and systematically choose men over women to the point where only 19% of Nuru partners, Nuru entrepreneurs are women. Yeah, hmm. exactly. So uh, like you said, so we have this village leadership. Obviously, most of them are men. 
So when they are choosing into um, choosing people that will become entrepreneurs, they are more biased towards men, and this is what happened with them, happened in the initial new um, uh, business model. Also, given that the grid, uh, we had limited grid electrification in uh, rural Rwanda, um, solar LEDs and pay-as-you-go system had become very attractive in rural households. So with this in mind, we wanted to look at the possible way of creating a business model within the renewable energy uh, sector aimed at first empowering women as well as providing access to modern lighting solutions to rural communities. By so doing, what we do is we address both the supply and the demand challenges of the energy sector. Now, let me just zoom briefly into uh, the project design, the major project design before I come to the uh, methodology of my study. Yeah, please zoom zoom away. This is This is absolutely fascinating. So the bedrock of our project was a randomized control trials where we partnered with new energy. So with the randomized control trials, we recruited community members as self-agents in 272 villages. So given the information, the administrative data we already had from new, we realized that, okay, can gender quota actually help uh, bridge the gap between men and women? And how will this affect performance? So these are the kind of things that we were looking, issues that we were um, thinking about when we designed our project. So we recruited 272 um, villages, um, and we had community members in each of these villages that were supposed to enroll as uh, village-level entrepreneurs. And with the new business model, it was such that entrepreneurs were supposed to operate in gender teams of four. So for each village, you have a group of four people working together. This group of four people, um, this team can either be all male, all female, or mixed gender group. Of the 272 villages who participated in the study, a half was allocated, were allocated to the treatment group. When I say the treatment group, these were people or entrepreneurs that received equipment training after they had uh, paid their commitment fee. Remember, Nuru is a business uh, entity and it was not a social uh, program. So definitely you needed to pay for whatever equipment you were using to start your business. The other half, which we refer to as the control group, is supposed to start at a later date after we concluded with our endline um, um, surveys. So from this, we were, we were looking at examining uh, five major objectives, uh, namely to test business um, adoption models such as pricing, behavioral interventions. We also try, uh, wanted to look at gender quotas. We also wanted to look at how access to renewable energy can improve welfare, rural, uh, uh, welfare for rural households. And additionally, uh, we conducted a lab in the field experiment, which I personally headed uh, to examine behavioral preferences such as competitiveness and risk-taking uh, abilities and how this affects uh, business success of entrepreneurs. Now, also, that is the broader um, project, uh, which is the RCT project. So the RCT project came after we had analyzed the administrative data what, so what is administrative data in this context? 
Okay, so in this context, we had initial data from neural energy, which did not include the experiment. So in the initial uh, data or the initial business model of neural energy, they had uh, this solo uh, entrepreneurship where individuals were running the business themselves. So what we did was to compare situations where individuals were running the business themselves to situations where individuals were participating in a team to run the business. So for this, we tried to compare um, solo male versus female micro-entrepreneurs employed in about 868 villages. And with the second business model, we compared female, males, and mixed-gender teams are deployed in about 183 villages. So this was the setup for uh, the IDS medicine paper. So based on that administrative data analysis, how, for example, did solo female entrepreneurs compare to male solo entrepreneurs? Okay, so we, we found that um, female entrepreneurs in the solo business model um, sold about 36% more lights than men, which is, wow. uh, was very impressive. And it doesn't end there. When you go to um, the business model, females and males were participating in the team business model. We also found that female-led uh, teams sold about 60% more light on the average than male-led teams, which for us is uh, very, very impressive. And this is the reason why we were motivated to go a step further to design the randomized control trials to really see experimentally as we can uh, pick up when we do gender quota system uh, in such a model. I mean, th this is like a significant difference. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's impressive. So what, what do you yes, think... Is. I mean, so what do you think accounts for that striking difference in the number of units sold compared between male and female entrepreneurs? Uh, this is a very good question. You know, um, women might be, um, I wouldn't say that uh, they are best at sales, like I wouldn't generalize that, but they might have social network networks that actually works for them. Um, secondly, women might be more focused on the entrepreneurship, uh, on the entrepreneurship model. Um, in situations where males participate, you realize that they have other jobs. So this is just like a secondary job and they don't really pay much attention to it. Whereas a woman that is home and not doing so much or just have, let's say, uh, a subsistence farming, doing subsistence farming, she's more likely to pay much attention to the, um, the business and by so doing, able to um, recharge light and sell more light uh, than the mail. So uh, this is what I can take from the result and given my interaction on the field uh, during the qualitative uh, study. Well, I mean, is there any example of an individual female entrepreneur you interviewed as part of your qualitative study that sort of illustrates any of those points? Yes, yeah, so there was this lady by name Milani. So she joined the neuro business model in October 2016, and um, she was in the female all female team. So she had other three uh, females on board. Um, 
um, for Milani, becoming a VLE uh, to her was very beneficial. So I, I personally asked her um, to discuss or to tell me uh, how she had benefited from VLE. Or um, I personally asked her when, if she, there were activities that she engaged in as a result of VLE, becoming a VLE, that is the village level entrepreneurs that she did not uh, initially participate in. In her words, this is what she said. Oh, yes, I am now very respected in the village. People trust me a lot. And I think I can become a village leader because they elected me to be part of this village-level entrepreneurship group. I now meet to discuss issues that are very critical and important for development. This is helpful, and I trust myself now. I can even compete that she repeated. And for me, this is a very good take-home message that, okay, apart from the benefits they get from income, apart from the fact that uh, females show to be more profitable than men, they also have this personal agency, very social status. They benefit from uh, some kind of prestige, which I think uh, is something we should pay attention to when trying to develop a business models and entrepreneurship programs for women. Yeah, we, we talk about, you know, women empowerment a lot in international development. This is like what it looks like in, in practice. Did your research or does other research suggest that, you know, putting this income into the pockets of women as opposed to men have any broader social benefits? Yes, it does. Um, you know, from once again, from the qualitative findings, we saw that uh, men and women use their income from the business differently. Uh, so uh, almost women, about 80% of women reported to spend their income from their business on food, essentials, clothing, and health expenditures for the household. Men, on the other hand, used it on recreational activities and sometimes informal um, forms of savings. That uh, suggests the spillover effect that uh, additional income for a woman in a household can really have um, uh, can really have for the household. So additional income for the woman can really have spillover effects for the household. Whereas the man may really choose what to do with years, the women tend to think more about the households, their children, health expenditures, and food. You know, in terms of policy implications from this research, I mean, you know, the one seem like basic uh, outcome or or implication is that if Nuru Energy wants to sell more LED solar light systems, you know, it ought to recruit more female entrepreneurs. Uh, but uh, uh, what are some like broader, you know, social or political or policy implications that you can deduce and re- infer from your research? Hmm. Um. Let me highlight that um, although our study is context-specific, it's very context-specific, uh, we are able to highlight that uh, including women in the private energy sector um, does not in any way reduce uh, business revenue for private companies, as people or the literature um, might suggest. Uh, there is rather a high potential to increase revenues if not uh, having the same revenue with um, um, their male counterparts. Um, the other thing is that 
women's benefits does not only um, um, limit to income generation, but they benefit from the prestige levels and community engagement, which we will want and can also lead to personal uh, agency of them taking on um, um, more leadership roles. So um, it's important to include women in a private uh, sector and they shouldn't be shown thinking that they are not going to achieve the level of revenues that uh, men can uh, achieve. But quickly, let me just say that uh, the results from this study is from an administrative data and is not from an experimental uh, data. So uh, listeners should look out for uh, the randomized control trial uh, analysis, which my co-authors are currently working on. I, I know this is a dangerous question for an academic, <laughs> but do, do you know like when we might be able to see the RCT study? Oh, okay. So, you know, RCTs take time. And the fact that I'm not the one leading that paper, I wouldn't want to commit myself to give you a very uh, definite time frame for that. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, finally, you know, this episode is uh, being produced in partnership with the Sustainable Energy Transitions Initiative, of which you are a, a member. Um, can you just discuss and, and explain your interaction, your work with them, and how your participation in SETI, SETI helped uh, influence your work and support your work? Okay, so for me, uh, SETI has played critical role in shaping my research ideas throughout my PhD studies and continues to be my uh, go-to research network even after my study. Um, apart from the numerous SETI conferences I've participated in, um, one thing that really stands out for me is unlike the other traditional um, economics network, top researchers from SETI are easily accessible. And they are always eager to assist with uh, research inputs. And on top of that, they make the personal efforts to connect with everyone. Uh, for me, this is very remarkable. And uh, one other thing is once you show a potential or capability, they give you the platform to excel. Uh, for me, this is something I will encourage uh, young researchers in the network, especially from the global south, to take advantage of. So that is my story of setting. Uh, well, Rebecca, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you for having me, Mark. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Rebecca. That was very interesting. And I really look forward to checking out that randomized control trial whenever it is available. This is just an absolutely fascinating study that combines seemingly two distinct issues into one cohesive and interesting research project. So thank you to Rebecca and thank you to the good folks at the Sustainable Energy Transitions Initiative. We have a couple more episodes from that content partnership coming in the near future, so stay tuned. All right, see you next time. Bye.